Welcome to the Smarter Trading Podcast. If you want to sharpen your trading skills or become a more savvy investor, then you're in the right place. Every week, we sit down with professional traders who are ready to share practical insights on what it takes to succeed in modern day markets. Smarter Trading, the show to watch to trade smarter. Medeiros is the founder and CEO of The Trade Risk. All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Evan or The Trade Risk. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Evan and guests may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Brian Lund, a fintech executive investor, and writer with over 35 years of trading experience. Brian is the publisher of The Lund Loop, a weekly newsletter in which he writes about the intersection between markets, trading, and life. In this episode, we talk about what it was like getting started in the 1980s trading. We then get into some of the psychological hurdles that make trading difficult, like wanting to buy stocks when they're cheap and not knowing yourself well enough. We then move on to discuss the question of when should a trader quit? That goes for when things are going well and when things aren't working out. When should you walk away to reset or simply say, hey, I've made enough money today. Let's call it a day. Please enjoy this episode with my friend, Brian Lund. How is the Discord thing working out for you? Because I know that's a new new little uh, ad for you, right? Like a new addition? Yeah. I mean, it's just a value add. I mean, I'm not trying to... I, what I specifically said when I let people know about it is this is not a picks room. Okay. And it's right. unmoderated. And I may not even be in there for two, three days at a time. Like I just wanted to create a venue where people that were like-minded and, you know, in, in my community um, could come and just be the anti-Twitter. You know, I, I wanted to set it up so that people that uh, have experience can share people that don't have experience can ask questions and not be afraid of it. And, it's been great. Um, you know, we've got like we've got 320 people that registered for it, and there's give or take about 100 in there actively on a daily basis. And so, you know, it's great. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's a cool place just to kind of hang out for you during the day, then, pretty much, right? Yeah, I mean, look, the way I look at social media or Discord or all that, everything is, it's all just another set of eyes or thousands of sets of eyes for me and and me for other people. Like I. The more I can interact with people, the more I'm going to get ideas, uh, either concepts or even stocks. And it's not like they're going to tell me how to trade or I'm going to tell them. It's like, oh, I didn't, I, you know, I've got 18 things I'm looking at over here. I didn't see that, but that looks compelling. So it's just another way to do that. So I give you a lot of credit because in an older generation, let's say, right. especially in trading, people tend to be very guarded and very closed down. And right. you've taken the other side there. Like that, that is a, that is a great insight is that, Hey, I just got to share it. I don't have any big magical edge that I'm going to tell you about. Like I, I need to hear more ideas and feedback because it's better for all of us. Right. Like, yeah. so let me tell you, let me tell you about this theory I have about that. So it all comes down to the VCR. Right. So the VCR was the, the first real piece of technology that was ubiquitous in my generation um, in, in your house. Right. Uh, and so some people in my generation figured out how to program the timer on the VCR and some didn't. 
right? And the ones that didn't, and anyone that's over 35 knows what I'm talking about, would just see that little light blink 12, 12, 12, right? And my theory is, is that if you were one of those people, of, you know, when, when I was 16, that could program the VCR, you fell on this side of always being technologically adept, right? And if you couldn't, you fell, and, and the split is really in my generation. There's people that are my age that are super into tech and forward thinking, and, and there's people my age that aren't on Facebook or nothing like that, right? And the way that translates is that it used to be that the way you, um, you know, the way you profited off of a, a, a great idea was to hide it, hide it away from everybody and, you know, get lawyers and protect it, right? And there's still people out there that have that attitude, whether it's something they want, a, a product they want to produce or a service or just how they interact with people. Then there's the other side, the more technologically forward thinking is like, hey, you know, what? I'm going to share what I've got, right? And I'm going to get it out there and I'm going to iterate and I'm going to help people. And like, that's going to come back to me or it's going to you know, spur me to innovate other stuff. And so that's what I kind of look at it like, hey, I got an idea. You got an idea. Let's share them. Let's kick them around. Let's figure out. So it's just that's the, you know, I, I figured out how to, to program the VCR. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's kind of hard. I mean, it's in some. It's not natural sometimes to to. You want to protect something, right? You want to think you you know you're the smart one that has this great idea. But uh, the truth is, I mean, I think we've seen in trading, right? Like even what was it? Um, the turtle story, right? With with um, yeah. Richards, right? He you know he, he was convinced he could sort of publish all the rules, but it was such a hard system to follow. People wouldn't people wouldn't do it anyway. So like. It's yeah, it's been seen sort of time and time again. So yeah, I love it. I, I find great value in sort of sharing ideas as as much as uh, I am an introvert and, and everything else. But I don't want to get too far in before I uh, take a second dig at you and out you now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a secret on uh, on on good old BC Lund here. What this is this is like a machine gunning right here. I don't know. Why did you agree to this? I don't know. Uh, so let's let's rewind the tape six or seven years ago. I'm walking around this trading conference down in San Diego, California, and I spot in the distance Brian Lund. This is, this is the origin story. All right, go ahead. That's right. And we hadn't met each other, so I knew who you were. And I see you over there and, you know, laughing, having a good time. So later in the, the conference, we we find our way near each other and we start talking. But in my head, I'm looking at you and I'm saying, well, I got to be careful with this with this Brian Lund figure because he tells people like it is on Twitter. I've seen him and I need to be very careful with what I say about him. And we start talking and you're a teddy bear. You, you're, you're welcoming, you're inviting, you're introducing me to everybody. So that is the secret of, of Brian Lund here is you can't trust the, uh, the, the Twitter persona. He is a gentle, a gentle giant. So that's, that's the secret right there. <laughs> if you look at the pinned tweet on my, my, you know, on my Twitter feed, it's, it says, Fun fact: I'm more palatable in person, and that's true, right? When I'm yeah, I'm hundred percent. When I'm on Twitter, or, uh, you know, stock tweets, whatever, I'm just, I'm lipping off. I'm just shooting my mouth off, and and I always say that to people, like people that want to get into big, heavy discussions, whether it's on stocks or life or philosophy on Twitter. I immediately say, like, this is Twitter. It's Twitter. Like this, what are we talking about? We're not going to have this discussion here. It's like I'm just throwing out stuff, and you know, you want to have a discussion at a bar some night with you know, drinks, whatever. That's great. So 
so yeah, I'm a little bit uh, a little bit edgy on uh, on Twitter, but uh, I can't I, I don't have the, the the guts to keep it up in real life. I I, I don't know if I'd say I'm a teddy bear, but uh, I'm trying to be more personable as I get older. And that was Oktoberfest, right? Is that that's where we met, right? Yeah, and I missed we missed it this year, obviously, but yeah, um, yeah always a good time. And um, yeah, you buy me uh, you buy me all the, the the drinks at the open bar, so you're you're great. Um, you're great. <laughs> I'll buy there. you all the drinks you want at open bar. <laughs> all this free, I'll buy them all. <laughs> that's right. Oh man, uh, do you remember the first stock you ever purchased? Yeah, yeah, I sure do. Um, so. So uh, I'll give you a, a little bit of a backstory. So sure. um, once again, if, if you're under 35, there used to be these things called newspapers, right? And as a kid, I was fascinated by the business section of the newspaper because they would just print all these numbers. And it was, you know, the closing prices on the commodities, stocks, bonds from the previous day. And I didn't know what they meant, but I, I knew there was like a puzzle to be solved there. And if I could solve it, money would be my, my reward. So I... As I got older, I, I tried to learn more about stocks, and I used to watch this show called uh, FNN, which is the Financial News Network, the precursor to what's now called CNBC. And so when I turned 18, I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this stock thing. Uh, but I didn't know how to buy stocks. There, was no, there were no online brokerages, and uh, so I didn't know who to talk to or where to go. Fortunately, right around that time, Sears had decided that they were going to start introducing financial services into their stores. So they would have like an all-state uh, insurance or a Dean Witter broker or, um, you know, different, different companies would have these little mini stores in there. So I drove down to the mall, went into Sears and in the back corner in between the, the Kenmore appliances and the craftsman tools was a Dean Witter, a one man shop. I walked in there. I said to the guy, I said, I want to buy $300 worth of Altos computers. Now, I wasn't exactly sure what Altos computers did. I figured it probably had to do with computers since it was in the name. But I had seen them on FNN. I'd seen the CEO uh, interviewed there. And so I thought, you know, it's good at any stock. So we did the transaction. He handed me his card. His name was Randall Woodworth. I swear to God, the waspiest <laughs> name right out of trading places. And he said, call me in six hours after the market closes, and I'll tell you the price you got filled at. And that was my first entree into uh, the stock market. That's incredible. And so that was it. That was the, you were hooked at that point from, for the most part. Not, and so not yet that, that stock, I, I think I ended up with a scratch is about even on that. And then I bought a stock after that called arrow gum, which once again was from FNN. I think they, they made gum. I, if I, if I remember correctly, I don't even know. How I remember this. They were going to make some sort of caffeinated gum. It was going to change the world. Right. Um, that, that was big technology in 1985 or 87, the caffeinated gum. Uh, no, 85. Yeah. And uh, the, but the stock after that that I bought, uh, I had a buddy that moved out. He was living down at the, the beach. He had three roommates. And one of the guys was a really old guy, was like 25. Right. And he worked for Adobe. And he told us that Adobe was about to become the default desktop publishing software for all IBM computers. IBM used to actually make computers um, you know, under their own name and sell them. And they had a big chunk of the marketplace. So this is going to be a big deal. So I'm like, okay, great. That's good reasons anything. So I bought Adobe and within the first month I made more money than I had made from all my summer jobs, all my Christmas gifts, all my birthdays combined. And I said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do for a living. It's so easy. Uh, I'm going to retire as a multimillionaire at 25. And of course, 
as you well know, that's one of the worst things that can happen when you when you're starting out is to, to be successful right away, right? And sure. you know, I spent five to ten years after that struggling because I just didn't know what I was doing and I, I thought it was supposed to be a piece of cake. So it's incredible because yeah, Adobe still a very prominent figure in markets now market cap, what 200 billion or something like that. So you must've got it right at the, that was, must've been IPO time for it back in the, back in the eighties. But, um, were you trying to, did you know the difference at that point between like trading and investing? I mean, you were just trying to make money. That's probably the, the framing in your head. Like, were you trying to turn over quick, find the next trade idea? Or were you just trying to like buy something to hold it for some amount of time? You know that sort of uh, that sort of logical or thought structure didn't even exist back then. It really didn't. I mean, there was no retail community of traders. Um, and I was thinking about this before before we got on. And the the thing that I can I can say that trading in 1985 would be the same for an 18 year old as um, two things. One would be uh, online betting. And the second would be basically the equivalent of what my kids do on uh, Discord or Roblox, right? So, mm-hmm. in terms of the betting, right, you couldn't. There was no online betting. There's no DraftKings, none of that stuff back in 1985. And even if there was, you had to be 21 to do it. But at 18, you could open up a stock account, and that was basically a way of making wagers, right? So there, it satisfied that sort of itch and that thought process. And on the other side. It's weird to think of it this way, but it was really the first interactive social thing you could do because you put money in the market. Then every day at the end of the day, the newspapers print the scores, right, which is basically the closing prices. And everybody looks at the scores. And even though you're not interacting with people, you know, people are out there doing the same thing that you're doing. Right. And then the next day, there's a new set of scores. So that's, you know, so basically it was. It was nothing related to the way I trade and invest now. I think back then it was just satisfying something in an 18-year-old in 1985 that's similar to what young people or even older people do today in terms of social media or gaming and and, and sports betting. Yeah, that's such a good yeah, it's a, such a good insight. The world was just so different, right? Back then. I mean, it it was it was not like it is today. And I guess, you know, I was talking with mutual friend of ours, Sean McLaughlin, the other day, and sort of talking about the the analogies between maybe the, the the rush of retail in the 90s. And I know you're even talking in this period a little bit earlier than that. But if we think about like the rush of the 90s and kind of where you were and thinking of it as like a social, like, you know, bringing, bringing people together, checking the scores at the end of the day on the paper and everything else, is that, I mean, do you get any of that sensate like is that what's happening right now with this new inflow of 18 year old trade or 20 year old traders and robin hood and crypto do you i know it's it's tougher to relate but like do you feel it does it does it seem like it's similar to back then it does i mean i think i think the reason that the the 90s the late 90s in the internet uh bubble will always stand out for people my age is is because it was the first time we ever experienced something like that right it, it's mm. there, there's no blueprint ever to you know to, to relate to so now that we're seeing it again we, we've kind of seen something like that so it's hard to be objective and to say if it's it's purely new but it there were there have been times since we hit bottom in you know last march or the march before i guess that um 
that it did feel like that. And it certainly feels like that in the world of crypto. I mean, there is no doubt, to, like the, the great analogy here is that there were so many um, internet companies in the late 90s that went public that had no revenue and were losing money hand over fist. And we only hear about the Amazons, right? The ones that survived, right? But there were literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of companies that went from zero to here and then went away and you never hear about, you know, Blue Martini, right? Or, uh, I mean, there's just tons of them, right? And that's what I, some of these, or a lot of these altcoins are like, they're the exact same thing to me. They're, they're, I mean, I know that there's people out there that will say, well, there's a use case for Dogecoin, there's a use use case for this, but most of them are going to blow up. And, and, and I'm a guy who believes that there is a use case for crypto and blockchain and, and NFTs like that. But I think there's just so much speculation right now um, because of so many factors um, that you're going to see something not unsimilar to what happened when the, the Internet bubble uh, burst in 2000. Yeah, ultimately, it's I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a good thing. I like to see the new the new inflow there, but it's just trying to do it responsibly. But I mean, I guess so one of the you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is that we've seen I mean, there there's so many articles on risk management, how to how to look at a chart, how to identify a breakout setup, right? There's there's probably millions. Uh, I mean, there's got to be millions of articles and videos posted do we need more of those? Like, do we have to keep risk? Do we have, you know, is that, is it so important that like risk management, do we just have to keep plowing out those articles or is it something like people just have to get in there and figure it out and lose some money and, you know, go yeah, down that route? That's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, not to get uh, political, but I mean, it's, you could say the same thing about vaccinations, right? Like, I mean, I just saw today there, there's a $3 million uh, grant or something to, you know, just to bring vaccine awareness. Like, does anybody after a year and a half not know that there's a vaccine out there? Or or does anyone not know, you know, like sometimes I, I go to Whole Foods and I see that they have this sign at the front that shows the proper way to wear a mask. Like, is there anyone that doesn't know how to wear a mask? There's just a certain percentage of people that messages will never penetrate. And it depends on what the, uh, you know, if, if the message is chocolate ice cream is delicious, it's going to get a high penetration rate, right? But if it's something else, um, especially if it's based upon beliefs, it's there's a you know there's a certain group that will adopt it. There's a certain group that will never adopt it, and then there's that middle area where it depends, right? So, and I just think that's that's human nature. Um, mm. I, I also think w- when it comes to risk management, there's so many things about trading that are just counterintuitive to the to the yeah. human nature, right? Uh, I mean, one of the ones I always like to talk about is is you know when we're conditioned from, from the time we can understand the concept that the the cheaper you pay for something, the better, right? You you buy a new car and you drive it off a lot and it you know it it drops in value. Or you want to get a refrigerator, you want to get it cheaper, right? And but that's because they're deteriorating assets, right? But people take that the the pricing mentality and then they bring it into the stock market and then they want to buy something that's cheaper. Uh, and you and I know that sometimes that's okay if it's temporarily cheaper while it's in a overall uptrend, but if it's something that's going down and down and down and you're just buying more and more and more, you know, but that mentality is counterintuitive to how we Mm -hmm. learn value. 
So there's those are some of the things that will always be there that will block education, that will block you know good content, uh, just those preconceived notions of how things work. Yeah, I like that analogy a lot. I've never thought about the even just like you say the mask example or just some things are going to get easily adopted especially if it's if it's easy to do and it and it's got a quick reward you know uh loop you know that's something that's easy but if you're telling someone to manage risk or do something that's not so fun or sexy or interesting then yeah it's going to be tougher if you think of just going back to that mask analogy real quick if you think about that if you really break it apart if somebody walks into whole foods and they're not wearing the mask above their nose or like that. It's not because they don't know how to wear a mask. They're making a statement right there, right? And then you as Whole Foods have to make a decision. Do I then confront somebody knowing full well that they're they're making a statement? You, know, you can't deceive yourself and go, well, they don't know how to wear it. They do, right? It's the same thing in the markets, right? There are some people that are just going to say, I'm not going to do that, or that's not right, or for whatever reason, they're just not going to do that. The question is, do, do you, I, do, do the trading community, the, the trading educate, do we spend our time trying to, no, no, you have to, or do we just say, let's move on to somebody that, that is open to that idea? It's a, it's a great observation and it is, it is case by case. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think you have to decide if, uh, yeah, how much time you're going to, you're going to spend on that, uh, on that particular individual. So get a couple of kids and, and you'll understand this totally instinctively. Just, <laughs> just, just dogs for me. <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, dogs are great because they'll do what you tell them to, but kids like they know, like I was the smartest, uh, 16 year old, 30 year old, 40 year old, 50 year old, like, you know, um, nobody wants to be told stuff. Right. Um, but some people eventually, you know, mature and they're open to learning and some people don't. If we sort of switch gears to a, a, a little bit on your framework for markets. So I we've talked a lot. I actually I know you trade futures. I know you trade stocks. But how do you what's what's the pro, what's a day in the life of Brian Lund look like? You boot up your computers early, I'm assuming. You're on the West Coast, so you got to wake up early. What goes through the head? How are you framing out markets? What are you thinking about in terms of opportunities, positions and all the fun stuff? So I try to go into the day with a list already of of what I'm going to be looking at. I'm not very good at, uh, like, I know people that will run a scan first thing in the morning to find gappers, right? And they'll then decide which one they want to trade. Like, I'm not good about that, right? I usually have 15 to 20 go-to stocks, and we all know what stocks they are. They're the stocks that are that are hot, that are people are, are trading. You know, they're they're liquid. I know what how they move. Um, I know there's going to be some action in them. If there's not one in action, this one, there'll be action that one. So I like to have all that done the night before, if possible, because it is so early here on the West Coast. Um, and then that way I can get up and I can do a little mental stuff. You know, I can uh, do a little bit of stretching and I meditate for a little bit and just do all the stuff I need to do to get myself in the right mindset. And then it's just a question of, of, following the action, you know, like, uh, I've got my, what I like to do for, for, especially for day trades is to have the, um, the high and the low of the previous day on a stock marked off. Right. And see how that plays within the recent trend. So like, let's say a stock is in, it's in an uptrend, but it's taken three days and pulled back. Now I've got the high and the low, you know, maybe I'm looking for it to, uh, gap below the low and then reverse and come back. And then I've got a level to trade against. Right. Um, 
So that's basically how it is with stocks. I, I've got a go-to list. Um, in terms of futures, I only trade uh, the NASDAQ e-mini. And that's something that I'll obviously, uh, you know, I'll do, at, you know, I don't want to say on the fly, but you know what I mean? There's not, it's hard to have a plan for that. And what I'll usually do with that is um, I have three charts. I have uh, the minute chart, five minute chart, and the 30 minute chart. And the first thing I'll do before the market opens is I'll open the, I'll expand the 30 minute chart and I'll try to figure out what the levels were overnight, um, the big levels, right? Sometimes I'll even do an hour chart. And then when I, as I'm setting those levels, they're also being, uh, you know, they're synced to my, my one minute and five minute charts. And then the way I found for me for trading futures is I tried to trade futures for many years the way I would trade a stock. I try to trade a breakout, right, or a breakdown. For me, the way that, that futures work best is trading extremes, right? So if I know that there's a, a, you know, a big level on the 30 minute chart, but on the one minute or the five minute, it extends really fast and it gets down to that level. I'll play it for a rebound. I, I know that it's you know due to rebound. Um, so I'm a lot more dynamic when it comes to futures. I mean, some futures trades I'll hold for seconds to, to a, a few minutes. Um, and so it's just a combination of, of, you know, the, I guess the longer term, the day trades that go into swing trades for my go-to list. And then the, the, you know, the fast, almost scalping like, uh, um, futures trades. How long will you hold on in terms of the swing or overnight? How long will you hold on to something if you, you know, if you like it and it's working? A lot of that depends on price action, right? Like if, uh, if I see a stock that, uh, let's say a stock makes a really strong move three days in a row, right? It's got, uh, you know, three really strong green bars and it moves up into a, a, uh, resistance level. I'll take, some of it off at least, right? Now, if it were to kind of meander up to that level, right? I might, you know, let's say it took, you know, seven, eight days to get there. I would hold it longer. So a lot of it really has to do with the, the how fast the price moves and, and the price action um, for how long I, I'll hold it. Yeah. Old school sort of price action trader interpreting sort of how fast the move is, how urgent it is and that type of thing. So yeah, I love that type of approach. So the thing that always interests me with people sort of trading in your shoes is that it is potentially a very emotionally draining activity, right? Yep. It, do you find that to be true? And if so, how do you, how do you manage it? What, how do you make yourself not just want to hit the bottle at, you know, 11 AM and, yeah. <laughs> you know, it is, it can be very emotionally and, and by extension, physically draining. Um, and it, I find the older you get, it just, you know, it's more so, right? Like I, I was trading, I was, um, I was trading just, the only thing I was doing was trading full time uh, during the financial crisis, right? I picked a great time to just go out on my own and trade my own book, right? And that was literally like, like, there were times at the end of the day where I felt like I wanted to puke, right? Mm. Uh, which is not a good sign, right? Let, let, let me just say that to anyone that's trading. If you feel like you're going to throw up from a position or a trade, that you're doing something wrong, right? Um, but I was a lot younger back then, right? I could handle that. Uh, nowadays, I just I don't. Ha it's not as easy to recover from that. And so, you know, I have this philosophy that that we all have limited resources, right? We have limited time 
focus, energy, patience, no matter what age you are. And any of that that you expend in one direction, you can't put in another direction, right? So I try not to get too um, too emotional or too attached to anything that's going on. And then when the day's over, the trade's done, I try to just get it, you know, even if it was a bad trading day, like turn the screens off, go outside, walk, clear your mind, and then reset for the next day. And, and I think another thing about um, being able to put that that emotional distance is that is that one of my theories is that people uh, get emotional about stocks or trades because they're afraid they can't do it again, right? They, they find what they think is a great setup, and this is the one that's going to, you know, make them a gazillion dollars. And then when it doesn't go right, they don't want to close it out because that, you know, that ends the dream, right? And what they really are realizing subconsciously is they just got into it willy-nilly. They don't know why they did it. There's no methodology, so they can't repeat it. So it's like one and done, right? And if they let go of that, you know, that brass ring, they're screwed. As you get better at your methodologies, as you are more confident, you realize, hey, I can do this over and over again. It's just up to me to be disciplined. And if you remember that, when your your position's starting to go, you know, red, you can go, you know what? I'm going to cut it here at a point before it gets too emotionally impactful because you go like, I just, I'll do it again sometime, right? But what happens is we let it go past that point. Then it gets too big. Then we don't want to let it go. Or we're just afraid, you know, how will I ever find another winner? So it reminds me of a blog post you have, I think it's titled the 10 commandments of trading. And one of your 10 commandments on there is to know yourself. And I'd love if you could just explain just for a minute why that's important and what you mean by it. Yeah. So when, when new or novice traders ask me for a piece of advice, this is the, this is the first piece of advice I give them. And I'm a hundred percent serious on it. Say go to therapy. Go to therapy, okay? Because for some reason, the the market has this ability to draw out of us all the baggage, the emotional baggage, the mental baggage that we've brought with us throughout our whole life. Stuff that doesn't even have to do with finance, right? Because you, your mom didn't praise you enough, right? Somehow it comes out in trading, right? And a lot of times, you know, we don't even know what our hangups are. So I tell people. Um, get into therapy. Um, worst case scenario, you, you you become a better person, even if you don't become a better trader. But you'll you'll learn more about who you really are. And the way that translates into the market is, you know, some people think, yeah, I'm a tr- day trader, and I'm going to swing over the fences. I'm going to make a gazillion dollars. What I got? That's what they really believe. That's how they view themselves. But their real self isn't comfortable with that, right? And the two are not meeting. Right. So they're they're acting in a, this way, the way they think they are, but their emotions are acting in the way they really are. And if those are missing each other, if they're not in sync, it can cause lots of trouble. If you go to therapy, uh, you, know, you practice mindfulness, you meditate, whatever it is, those come into sync. Right. And then you go, oh, you know what? I'm really not that type of crazy trader. I'm a guy who needs the noise turned down. Right. Maybe I'm better as a swing trader. Right. Maybe I'm better as a position trader. And then that helps you dial down the emotional stuff. So, you know, the better you know yourself, um, I just think the better it translates to trading and, and just in life in general. Yeah. yeah, that's great advice. Have you, do you think, have you found in your journey that you've transformed over the years? 
in terms of style and preference? So that's a, a really good question. And this is another thing I was thinking about before we hopped on. Um, so I've been trading like 35 years uh, and I've been playing the drums basically about the same amount of time. Like I started doing both almost to the day. And when you do something like that, uh, you know, when you first start something out, you, so you go pick up the guitar, that zero to six month is like a hockey stick, right? Because at zero, you don't, you don't even know how to hold a guitar. Six months, you're playing songs. So it seems like it's a big, you know, improvement. But we've been doing something for 30, 35 years. You know, your your progress is incremental. You know, you, you hit these plateaus. And I, I really thought like, okay, I'm as good a trader as I'm going to be. And I'm as good a drummer as I'm going to be. But this last year and a half has been really uh, amazing to to me to stand outside of myself and watch. So because of COVID, because of the lockdown, um, especially out here in California, everything was shut down. There's nothing else to do, right? My kids are not in school, so I'm not driving them and picking them up. I'm not going to events. And what we talked about before with your resources, your time, your energy, your focus, like all the things that all that stuff was going to was now refocused back on trading because I was sitting in front of my screens for a, a, most of the day and the drums because I got a drum set in my house. And the 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 leap I've taken, I, I don't want to say mastery because it just sounds too arrogant, but it, I just know the word. The leap I've taken in mastery on both those things in this last year has been incredible. And I, I never thought this late in my career I would experience that. There's songs that I've played for 20, 30 years that I thought I'll only be able to play this song this good that I'm now playing like in my sleep. And before COVID, maybe I would hold two to four swing trades at a time. Um, if I had more than that, just I couldn't focus enough and I couldn't manage them accurately. And maybe I would do, you know, three, four round trips in a, in a day. Uh, there have been times that I've had uh, 12 15, even 20 open positions when the market warranted it in the last year, uh, overnight positions. And there have been times that I've done 20, 30 uh, round trips in terms of uh, day trades and not done them like in a just a, a haphazard or willing, but like really like focused, right? Because once again, like all that stuff that sapped my focus and my attention before was gone. So it all went here. So the, the long winded answer is I feel like I've had more evolution in my trading and also in myself as a person in this last year and a half than I probably did in the, the 30, 35 years before that. Yeah, that's really exciting to hear. I mean, is is it pushing up to, you know, twice the normal, three times the normal position sizes or positions, something that left you uncomfortable or i mean did you really just kind of grab it and said this is this feels right i'm ready for it market's telling me i should do it everything's yeah. aligned yeah let me tell you there were times when i would look at my screen and i would see all the positions there and every fiber of my body would say that is wrong right he's like you know like just i'm also adhd so like there was just too much stimulus coming around he's like take some of the but I had to go position by position and look at them on the screen and say, there is nothing technically that is telling me to close this position right here, right? Now, the problem with that is, is that when you have, you know, so many positions open like that, if you get, you know, if they're uncorrelated, 
it's a little bit easier. But there have been times during the last 12, 16 months where, you know, everything went down. Right. And if you have a lot of positions, even if they all go down just a little bit, it can hurt. Right. But it's OK if you've you know, it's OK to take a little bit of pain if you've had a nice run. But, yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, there were times when I just, you know, because I, I trade with a. Uh, uh, interactive brokers, which for anyone out there knows, interactive brokers interface is basically like an Excel sheet is what it looks like, right? And for most of my career, like, you know, the Excel sheet, the, the my position sheet never went farther than like, you know, maybe an eighth of the this, you know, and I had ones that were going all the way down. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so it was a different experience, that's for sure. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's scary. And credit to you for fighting the urge. I mean, I think it's it's a tough thing because it's it's an overstatement to say, but it's almost everything that feels uncomfortable is kind of the right thing to do in trading, and that's not you know entirely true, obviously. But you generally, if you know if your body's telling you something's wrong, then you know all the other traders are feeling the same way, and that's exactly why it's a good trade, right? So or something like that. So kudos right. to you. That's that's awesome to hear. I mean, do you? Do you journal at all? I mean, I know you write a lot and you're a hell of a writer publicly, but do you journal like privately or or is that your journal when you write for Lunloop and everywhere else? Well, so no, I, I don't journal, but so I, I do write the Lunloop and I used to do the Lunloop where I would, um, so the Lunloop comes out every Saturday and it basically it's an overview of, of the markets and I, I put charts and there are things that I'm seeing and things that uh, I think are compelling for the next week. And I used, what I used to do is I used to put, actual charts. I'd put anywhere from 35 to 40 charts um, in the Lund loop and I'd have a little bit of commentary, but it just got so unwielding and it just was such a process that I, I decided a number of months back that I would check out video. I'd see if I could just do a video instead. Right. And that's been like amazing. So between, you know, the, the, the discipline of putting those charts in, uh, every week and then also um, doing the video and then being in the discord room and seeing, you know, I'm always in my mind kind of journaling, let's say, right. Um, and then putting that on the screen or putting that uh, in a post. Um, so I don't, I don't formally do it. Um, but I would say that's a, that's a proxy for it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What, um, what do you think, and this kind of goes to a, sort of something I mentioned the uh, earlier and when we were talking about, you know, millions of articles about risk management or lots on how to read a chart. What do you think as, as a, as a FinTwit community, as, as financial educators, as traders who have been doing this for a long time, what do you think we don't talk enough about? Is there, is there a topic that like just doesn't get enough attention? Anything that comes to mind for you? Well, I mean, it goes back to what I, said before is my advice, the, the, the therapy, the mental mm -hmm. game. I mean, I know that there's, you know, there in the last 10, 20 years, there's been more about behavioral finance, but even that has to be quantified in ways that are, um, that can be written about or sold in books that are, are very, um, generalized, right? Um, when you get into therapy, you just find out about things that are so specific to you. They're, they are universal, but they're also specific to you. And so that's what I think is that I think people don't understand the mental game, um, but not the, the the cliched mental game. Not the you know you can go out there. There's a there's a great um, graphic out there that's like the 20 cognitive biases, right? 
and mm -hmm. it, you know it's real nice and it's listicled and whatever and that's great but that 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 can identify stuff for you but that, that may not tell you why you have that bias right and until you go down that wormhole and say oh i wanted a pony for my fifth birthday and i got a etch-a-sketch right uh and then you can identify that then you go oh that's why i do this so yeah that would be my my thing is the, the mental game yeah i mean and maybe maybe this sort of relates to it too but i i thought you would be someone that i mean you've you've talked to thousands of traders throughout your career at this point you're someone that uh just networks gets out there attends meetings and one of the things that i find sort of challenging to answer sometimes so i want to hear if you have any thoughts is when should someone quit so how do you know when to push through, right? I mean, I know when I started trading, I blew up two accounts. Two accounts totally went to zero that I deposited hard-earned money in. Somehow I was crazy enough to continue, and I'm glad I did. But that might not have been the right answer for someone else. Or, hey, maybe I shouldn't be doing this either at this point. I don't know. But how do you, do you have a framework or how do you, how do you help someone get through whether or not they should quit or not. Yeah, that's that is a tough one. And and just like you, I've blown up accounts uh, myself. I mean, I think I, I'd be surprised if there's anybody that's uh, been doing this for a long time that's successful that didn't blow up accounts at some point. Um, I think there's two questions there. So there, there's the there's the when to quit when you're trying to learn it, right? And then there's the more m micro when to quit, like when to quit for the day, right? Or when to quit for the you know, the month or whatever. The first one is if, if you can see that some it, blowing up accounts is okay, assuming that you're blowing it up with reasonable amounts that don't ruin your whole life. If that's part of the process for you forming a methodology that you're eventually going to get to, right? You've got to do that, right? Um, if you're just blowing up accounts because you you're just throwing money out there and you're not you're not trying to refine and you're not trying to look at what you did wrong and you're not trying to find answers or you're not honestly trying to do it then it's like hey quit because you're literally just gambling i mean you can go to vegas and play blackjack for fun and have some beers and flirt with a waitress and lose some money whatever or you can go and you can play it statistically correct right you you know there's a there's a card. You can buy that card in the gift shop that will tell you if you play it like this way, you'll have an edge. The person that just goes and throws their money around, they're never going to win consistently, right? The person that's trying to follow those uh, those rules, they may win and lose. They're going to refine it. So I think that's the answer for the first part is that as long as somebody is still making progress in their methodology and, and they honestly seem like they want to, to get to a point, then they should keep trying. If they're just losing money, then they, they should quit. The second part is once you've already established and you are a trader, it once again goes back to the uh, to more of the casino analogy. And this is something that that I I take from professional poker players because when they play, there's no end to their their session, right? And then, unless it's a tournament, like if you're playing a cash game, you can play for days on end, right? So how do you know when to walk away from the table? Is you know does it have to do with how much you're down or up? And from what I've read about the top pros is it's when their game starts to deteriorate for that session, right? So they might be up a lot, 
And then they're starting to notice that like, I'm not playing as good as I should. I'm not following my rules. Now it's time to, you know, or they may be down a lot, but they say, you know, I'm playing right. I'm playing correct. I'm just getting bad cards. So when it comes to trading, it's the same thing, right? If you're up during the day and, you know, we've all been there where we get up early. I mean, our, our P&L gets up early in the day and we feel ourselves getting a little bit looser, you know, eh, but we'll take a little, you know, and then we come down a little bit. That's the time to say, okay, I'm done for the day. So two different, two different when you should quits, macro and micro. So I love, I mean, I love the first one. That's such great advice. If you're bleeding or blowing up accounts, but you're still being honest with yourself, putting in the work, you're journaling, you're trying to figure out, trying to get better, then yeah, I love that. It is, it is the road to, you know, getting there in a, in a, in a true sense. On the second part, um, two questions come to mind. So I'm curious, A, do you have any certain numbers or when do you call it for the day? Do you, you know, I got to make a thousand bucks today, day trading, as soon as I get it, I'm done? Or do you do that? And then the, the second part of that, just to, before I forget it, as soon as, you know, someone's doing well, doing well, you know, maybe they open Twitter, they see someone talking about a symbol, they go trade it, they lose some money. That's the time to quit. That's also probably the hardest time to quit, right? Because as soon as you have that good day and you're like, damn, I was up 2,800 bucks. Now I'm only up 1,400. I got to get back there. And that is, it is the most dangerous time, but you're totally right. That is the time to objectively quit. So yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. That's one of the that's one of the the most problematic areas of trading is when to quit. And there's no good answer. And, and I think um, Mark Douglas wrote about this in either uh, the Discipline Trade or Trading in the Zone. And he said, you know, when you run a marathon or you have a football game or any sort of competition, there's always a finish, right? The the clock runs out or the you know you hit the finish line and you say, I objectively won. That's it. I won. Right? The market, yes, the market has a close, but it's always there, right? It's always there the next day, right? Like I always say to someone, like, what if you get up 25% in the first month of the year? Should you just shut it down for the rest of the year, right? Because you get to the end of the year and you know you're up 25. That's a pretty good return for you know if you're managing money, whatever like that. Um, who knows, right? That's that's the the eternal struggle is how do I create a structure for when I should end for the day or for the quarter, whatever. For me, I have a, I have a, a dollar amount that I like to get to uh, when I'm day trading. Okay? I don't have to get there, but I like to get there. And I have to be careful that I, you, know, you get close to it and you're like, I'm almost there. And you maybe want to push it on a trade that is not optimal, right? So you got to be aware of that. Um, not so much in terms of my swing accounts, but yeah, it's tough. And it's and I think the other thing too is it's like a lot of things in life, like there's no finished answer. Like you're you're always evolving your and refining your rules um, for for when you do want to quit or when you want to step aside. And I and I think also, I mean, this is so important that it's good to also just know when you're not in the right mindset. You know, like mm. if you've had a, a really good week and you feel good about it. And you don't want to trade on Friday because you just want to say, hey, I want to go into the weekend, uh, you know, knowing I locked up this and I did good. You should do it because right? there's nothing worse. Every trader out there knows what I'm about ready to say. Right. There's nothing worse than whether it's a day and you're up during the day and then you give it back or it's a week where you're up and you give it back. You just that that close between the closing bell and the opening bell is the worst. Those are the worst hours. Right. 
or between the close on Friday and the open on Monday, that's the worst, right? All weekend, you're like, I could just be, you know, relaxed and think I banked a nice week, but I had to push that last trade. So yeah, that's, it's a tough one. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I think this is all over this, this, this industry's business of trading is there's no perfect answer. There's no one side. There's no one, one, you know, regular answer because it just couldn't exist. Otherwise there's, it's always individual. I mean, you can just, I love when traders, I always get a kick when someone, you know, on Twitter will post a chart and say, you know, where should you buy this? Or like, you know, what's the best place to buy it? And, and you know, you're just going to get a hundred different answers. Then you're going to get all the fights that break out. It's just. What do you think of X, Y, Z? Like, well, I know the right. next five minutes, the next five years, uh, you know. What's- totally. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's great. So as we sort of wind down here, one of the things, questions I like to ask is, successful trading and what it looks like to you now. So you've been trading for 35 years. Are you driving for returns? You drive into, you know, upgrade the house and, 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 you know, or, or are you, you know, more on the defensive side? What, what, what is successful trading to you at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'm still in my prime. Uh, it's not like a, you know, pro athlete. I'm still my prime. I'm getting better. You know, like, uh, I still, I, I love it. I still love it just as much as, uh, I ever, in fact, I think in the last year and a half, I, I refound my passion for it. I like the community. I like writing about it, but, but for me, trading has always only been about one thing and one thing, one thing only freedom. That's all it's about, right? It's, and it, it, it was freedom. Like now people work from home, Right. But like before that happened, like especially 10, 20 years ago, like the idea that you could work at home from your desk. Right. And you had no boss and you could come and go as you please. Like so as I get older, uh, you know, I've got kids, I've got different priorities. Um, the freedom to have time to do what I want to do that trading uh, can afford you is super important. I mean, I, I feel super lucky that for most of my kids uh growing up life i've been a, a stay-at-home dad you know so i've been involved in all of their you know their school and their lives which is i can't put a price on that so yeah so that's it to me to, to know that that you can kind of you can you can eat what you kill right you're not dependent on anybody else and you have the freedom if you want to uh take a day off or take a week off or you know, and that's the great thing about technical trading, right? Is that you can do that and then you can just pop right back in the stream by looking at the charts, right? Yeah. You don't have to worry, you know? So I would say that's, that's it for me, freedom. Yeah. I love that answer. You're an entrepreneur and it's, it's infinitely scalable pretty much, right? For all of us that, uh, you know, trade our own money, right? We can always, uh, just continue to grow it and, and kick some butt. I, I've always been a big fan and a sucker of the, the trading community, right? Mm. Uh, I like being a part of that. That I think there's, it's not an element of success, but it is an element of uh, satisfaction and pleasure to be a part of that community. And I and I feel like I'm in a unique position now where I was very lucky starting out to come across some uh, veteran traders, uh, especially lucky to find veteran technical traders back in the '80s that that really helped me. And I really enjoy. Um, I mean, I don't know how much I help people, but I, I really enjoy talking to people and hopefully helping them. Um, and it's it's not all 
altruistic because they say if you want to, you know, if you want to master something, teach it, right? Um, so that's giving me a, that's that's I guess that's a I guess that's a definition of success too is being able to to help people along. Uh, hopefully they can avoid a lot of the mistakes I made and and I hopefully have the same ability to achieve that freedom. Did you have a mentor that you could really firmly point to when you were starting, or was it mostly kind of jumping into the wild yourself? Yeah, you know, so there wasn't there it was hard to connect with people in 1985 so there really were no men and there was not much of a, a, a retail trading world to speak of but um i did find in the late 80s i was on a um, one of the first uh online services called prodigy and they had these bulletin boards right which basically the old school bulletin boards and there was one called money talk that i just stumbled across and i don't know how they ended up there but there were like 10 or 15 old school traders guys that were you know back then my age now and these are guys that had studied wd gan and all these really uh you know they're more well known now but you know elliott wave and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and they were all it's funny they were all engineers or airline pilots right people that had to do things in a very specific set of ways or there would be catastrophic failure Right. And technical analysis really resonated with them because that's what technical analysis is. And I was super lucky to, to find this uh, bulletin board. We actually, even back then, had some meetups um, like we called it. Uh, God, I can't remember what we called it, but we actually met up like three different times over a couple of years. We're like 40, 50 people. Um, this is in the early 90s. And we just put up charts we'd, we'd, for three days. We'd be in like a Marriott uh, conference room putting up charts. And there was nothing like that going on out in the retail world. So I was super lucky. And these guys and, and a few gals were very generous uh, to share with a stupid, you know, 18 to 20 year old who thought he knew what he was talking about and had no idea. So, um, and I just like to try and if I can emulate a little bit of that going forward. Uh, plus, and here's one other thing, and, and this is something I really feel strong about is we know that right now in the world, there's a lot of uh, cross currents in terms of uh, equality and cultural differences, whatever. And trading is the ultimate egalitarian activity, right? No, it doesn't matter who you, what your background is, how much money you have, who your dad was, what your ethnic background, your color, whatever. It's the, the trading field is level. Everybody can rise as much as they want. So, I find I've always felt this um, that trading can be super empowering to groups that have traditionally not had access to power. And so, you know, if I can help somebody, uh, you know, learn and access and to self-actualize like that, I think that's great too. Awesome, I love it, Brian. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work, what you're up to, stay on top of everything you're doing? They can just Google Brian Lund and then the Lund Loop. It's a newsletter that I put out every uh, Saturday. It's uh, you know, I talk about the markets. I talk about life. Uh, it's 10 bucks, so it won't break the bank. And then um, I'm on Twitter at BC Lund. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put those links in the show notes. And Brian is a hell of a writer. I think that's really where I kind of found you and, and said, this guy's got something interesting to say, or at least he's entertaining to follow really you through the said. loop. <laughs> you said this guy really overshares probably. <laughs> what, what is he talking about? <laughs> 
Oh, man. That's it, folks. All the notes and links from this episode can be found on our website, thetraderist.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. Brian, thanks so much. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Smarter Trading. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For all of the show notes, links, and callouts, head on over to thetraderisk.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Smarter Trading is hosted by me, Evan Medeiros, and produced by Ashton Alexander. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you in the next episode.